Okay, uh, kids, kids, uh, kids, and and young people. Today we're kind of keeping everybody together. It's Thanksgiving. Don't worry, the preacher will be shorter, and and very simple, and you'll be able to follow. Even the kids will be able to follow. Okay, so I've got something kind of fun planned for you. And remember, we've got we do have coffee out there, and uh, tea and little madeleines. Okay, the Cineplex ran out of coffee. So we had to, the manager was very worried that we would be upset. And she came to us this morning. She said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We ran out of coffee. We have no coffee. I said, you mean you have no coffee like all day? She said, we have no coffee. We're not getting any coffee. Everybody's going to be upset at us. We hope you're not. I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, I have a hypothesis. I think it was the rain and the change in weather. And we had a lot of families come for Paw Patrol. So it cleaned them out of the coffee. So we ran and got coffee. It's from Premier Moisson. It's fresh, fresh, fresh. So please help yourselves today to that nice little treat and fresh madeleines as well. Wednesday night, we are continuing. You're having a lot of fun with this Bible study. And uh, it really gets your brain going a bit when you start to observe in the Bible that God has questions. And many of the questions are unanswered that God has, you know. We ask God questions and we get mad at him because he doesn't answer. Well, he's got a lot of questions in the Bible for people and for it just in general, all kinds of things. And so we're looking at that on Zoom for an hour on Wednesday nights. If you want the link, come and see me. Most of you are on our mass list. It's over 110 people now, so most of you are on it. I think even if you're new, you probably got something from me this weekend. So um, if you want the link, just come and see me. We're going to give you a chance to give and to take up the offering at this uh, time. As I've said to you, if you're you know new giver, a new person, we take it any way you can give it. The only way that we don't take it, if you, if you give us iTunes cards or Bitcoin, we probably won't take it, okay? But anything else, we'll take it anyway. We'll take it electronic, in-person, check cash. we got machines in the foyer. You can give on our website. It drives everything that we do is purely on the donations of people, okay? Next Sunday morning, we will have a guest speaker with us, a friend of this church, Pastor Ron Rust, and he is going to talk about the theme, A Higher Calling, and he now represents our a local Bible college that's located in the city of Longay, and so I'm looking forward to hearing him next week. Now, uh, before we get into our message, one last announcement, uh, because it's coming so quickly. In eight weeks will be the first Sunday of December, and we are going to, like last year, have a Christmas service and uh, we're going to create the whole thing ourselves. We're going to have music. We're going to have drama. We're going to have a lot of fun like we did last year. There'll be hundreds of people, and we are giving away brand new toys, just like last year. And we've got a donor who's got a family member who attends this church, and he says, I'm collecting the toys now, and I'm going to break last year's record. So we're going to have a lot of people. Last year was upwards of 500 or so. And we had them in three screens, if you'll remember. And uh, we, we had 
too much tech going and the, we blew the internet or whatever. So this year we're going to be even, even better, okay? So I tell you this now because we are looking for, right away for, I think it's four people I need for this. Uh, there's a little short drama skit that we're going to do that we like we did last year. Last year was one person who had a, quite a bit of lines there and she did very, very well. But this year is four and it's an easy skit. It's like five minutes, but I, I'm looking for four people, male, female, doesn't matter, young, old, doesn't matter, as long as you, you, you can you know, memorize lines fairly well and you like acting and you like being on the stage for five minutes, it's gonna be a blast. So if you like to do that, young people, whatever, uh, come and see me, and uh, we'll get it going rather quickly, okay? That's an event that takes about 20 volunteers, very much like our Back to School Bash. It's going to be the first Sunday of December, okay? So I'm telling you about that now. We are continuing our series on the book of Proverbs, uh, called Uncommon Sense, bit of a play on words there. I, there's kids in the room, so it's a great opportunity. You want to introduce your kids to the Bible. The book of Proverbs is a super cool book to introduce kids to because you got these little sayings, these little things that you memorize, and they teach you about life, and they teach you about making wise decisions in life, and uh, they are a, a tremendous asset to you as a parent. You're looking for a practical way to teach kids the Proverbs are great, and today we're going to talk about our feeling frenzy, our feeling frenzy. You talk about feelings and emotions today, all right, and I'm going to make his fun and interesting as I can for the kids and for the adults as well. All right, we're looking at Proverbs. I just have about six or seven of them to read to you. All right, this is Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 10. And remember, when you read Proverbs, you got to grab a collection of them. It's better to look at what the book says about something as a whole rather than to grab just one and memorize one and remove it from its context. Try and read bunches of them. And as I've given you your homework, I'm not even going to bother to ask you, but as I've given you your homework, you want to try and read one chapter of Proverbs a day. Take you about five minutes you can have your coffee, your tea, read one chapter a day. It's going to transform your day. I guarantee you, you will see that, uh, but you have to put a little bit of work into it, all right? Easy book to find right in the middle of your Bible, Proverbs. Uh, chapter 14, verse 10, talking about feelings here, emotions. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Each heart knows its own bitterness. No one else can share its joy. A bit of a riddle. You say, well, why can no one else share its joy? Well, if you've ever experienced it, you know that in life you have these moments of pain, these moments of bitterness that you grow accustomed to. Each heart knows its own Bitterness has its own history, has its own pain, and no one else can share its joy. So the heart becomes very protective of those joyful moments, and people sometimes don't let people in when they have those joyful moments because of that bitterness 
and that pain. So joy can become a very private thing when people have experienced pain. In some senses, that's very true. You're probably thinking of people like that. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. You see the power of the emotions and the feeling here. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. Even in laughter. And rejoicing may end in grief. How true that can be. Sometimes you go from moments of laughter. There may be laughter in the room around you. You may be around people. There may be laughter in the air. But secretly your heart is aching. And the rejoicing sometimes may end actually in grief. Very true. Some of us have lived those kinds of things, right? Chapter 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body. There's even some people in the medical field that say that there's some truth to this. When people have peace kind of internally, they sometimes tend to be more healthy than others who don't. But envy rots the bones. Wow, that's a powerful emotion, envy. Chapter 15, verse 13, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. So when a person is happy on the inside, you can sometimes see it in their face. Their face is beaming, but heartache can crush the person on the inside. Wow, it's a, again a powerful emotion. Chapter 15, verse 30, light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart. Somebody's coming, they have a message, it's a positive message, it brings joy to the heart. And good news gives health to the bones. A lot of times people don't even want to watch the news anymore. Right? You say, I don't even want to watch it, it makes me sick. It's always bad. And it seems to seems to be getting worse. We were, we prayed briefly for the whole situation in Israel and Gaza, which is a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Good news gives health to the bones. Very powerful how emotion can affect a person's life. Chapter eighteen, verse fourteen: the human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? As if to say that when the spirit, when the heart of the person is crushed, it's worse than any sickness that that person can endure. Wow. And finally, chapter 25, verse 20, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. Today, it's colder than it was four days ago. Was it not summer, like four or five days ago? 29, 
32, 33, on our our Bible study, we have one of our members. She is over in her home country of Guyana in South America, and she tunes in our Wednesday night, our Zoom Bible study, and we we get to hear the, the birds and everything, and every time she comes on, I say, what's the temperature there? Oh, 33, 34, 35, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, 29. So we told her, we said, hey, it's 29 outside. She, she, her jaw almost dropped. She couldn't believe, and now you, it's so cold outside. Well, imagine the garment that you're wearing, someone takes it away from you on a cold day, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound. You, you know already, because you know what it feels like when you have a cut on your hand and you pour vinegar on that cut or maybe you know you have, you have a cut on your hand and you, you have those what do you call salt and vinegar chips and you feel that burning that burning right you put vinegar on a wound you pull a garment off someone in a cold day those are metaphors for is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. You say, that's, oh, that doesn't sound right. If you sing songs to a heavy heart, it should make the heart glad. Uh-uh, not according to the person writing here. He's saying when that heart is heavy and you sing songs to that heart, it's like you're pouring vinegar on an open wound. It's like you're taking a garment away from someone on a cold day. The last thing they want to hear in their heavy heartness is a song. Hmm. That can be very, very true to life. Some of you, you're saying, ooh, whoever wrote this knows what he's talking about because I felt those things. That it doesn't feel very spiritual, doesn't feel very Christian, doesn't feel very religious, but it feels powerful. It feels true. So we see from this several things, and these are just a sampling from the Proverbs about emotion, about feeling, and I'll go through this this quickly. Again, it's going to be a short message today. Number one, feelings are powerful, aren't they? They're very, very powerful. So there is a version of Christianity out there that basically says you've got to uh, get rid of your feelings and your emotions. That's kind of the problem. And you've got to get rid of that. You have to kind of be a very stoic person and you know you, you, you're not allowed to express emotion and so on because that's that's how Jesus was, you know. He, he was just like straight-faced all the time and in this view, you know. And so the real Christian, the real spiritual person, doesn't nothing affects them. It's like they have no emotion. A, even a quick study of Jesus from the Gospels, even a quick study of God in the Bible will show that Jesus was incredibly emotional. And so is God extremely emotional. You see all the gamut of of emotions expressed by God, expressed by Jesus, even the Holy Spirit. The scripture says the Holy Spirit can be 
grieved. You can grieve him. You see the anger of Jesus when he goes into the temple, sees the people being ripped off by the money changers, and he gets angry. You can see Jesus uh, emotional when his friend dies. He, he weeps when his friend dies. You can see Jesus being emotional when he's about to be crucified. Um, so this notion that you've got to get rid of your feelings and that's a real Christian, that's really spiritual, this is not really found in Christianity. It may be found in like maybe Buddhism or, you know, the view of Star Wars or something, you know, uh, get rid of your emotions, Luke, those are the problem, you know, anger, fear, these are the dark side or whatever, but it, feelings are powerful. They're very, very powerful, and you have a right to feel them. You can't ignore the fact that you feel anger, or you feel sadness, or you feel um, uh, depression, or you feel envy. You can't ignore these things. These things are very, very powerful, and you see them even displayed in these, in, just in a little list of Proverbs. So feelings are very, very powerful. Number two, they are indicators of something. They tell you something. So like, uh, like on a car, you have uh, all these, this dashboard, you know, and all these lights that come on and off on your dashboard. And nowadays the cars have these electronic screens and you got notifications on these screens and all this stuff comes up and so for example when you're when you're running out of fuel what happens the light goes on the fuel light goes on say oh man i need fuel and if you're like me you say no you don't need fuel <laughs> no you don't and and my wife and i we always have debates about this and i always tell her I tell her there's 10 liters left in the tank, okay? Toyota is lying to you to make you paranoid. There's 10 liters left in the tank. We can go three days with our driving without filling up the car. And she says, no, go and fill up the car with gas. I am not driving in it when it dies. So you will go and you will fill the car with gas. And of course, she wins every time. Now, it, it, there, it becomes a problem, though, when that light goes on, but there is gas in the car. And you say, well, the indicator went on, but why is it going on? There's a reason why the indicator is going on, but it's the wrong reason. But it's an indicator of something. And the worst kind with cars is, you know, you get these codes. Some of you guys, you know this, and gals who are into cars, you see this code that comes up, and you got to go and put the machine on your car to tell you what the code means, right? And the code means, oh, your engine's gonna die, you're this, you're this, you're this, and you can, all these codes now and all these electronics. We're trying to figure out what does this mean? And emotions and feelings are the same thing. They indicate something. They tell you something. You're not supposed to ignore them and suppress them and repress them. And, you know, there, there, are, there are families and marriages and you, you, you are, you're operating like that. You know, you're angry, but you bury it down inside and you don't say anything to your, your, your spouse. Uh, and you keep it buried, 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 buried down inside and you suppress it. 
It's a bad thing. The scripture does not teach you to do this. Uh, your emotions are real. They're, they're God-given for sure, but they're indicating something. Is Sometimes it's difficult to tell what do they mean, what are they indicating, but for sure they're telling you something. Now, here's what I want you to leave with today before I give you a couple of illustrations. And this, in my view, is if you, if you follow it, sort of a pun intended, uh, it's, it, it's life-changing, okay? The, the broader culture, and we talked about this last week, will teach you, will preach to you, they'll give it to you in the media, they'll give it to you in the music, you will get it in education from pre-K to university and beyond to higher levels of learning, you will get this everywhere. Not only are your feelings powerful, not only do your feelings indicate something, but your feelings need to be taken so seriously that you must follow them. We even have a proverb that we use in modern language, and we, the person says, I follow my gut or I follow my instinct. And the culture will encourage this and tell you, don't listen to people who say, don't follow it, you follow it. Your gut is telling you, your emotions are telling you, you feel this powerfully, you feel this profoundly, don't ignore it, don't push it down, follow it. This is the way you are, this is the way you're created, whatever. You follow it. What you feel, you follow. Now, maturity, and there's kids in the room. It's your job, parents, to teach them this. Maturity, and this will even work if a person's not a Christian. A person matures when they realize that is not always true. Not always. I'm telling you, the culture will teach you it's true, it's true, it's true. And you've got to come to a place of maturity where you realize not always. And not always means there's something else that has to trump my feelings and my emotions. At some point, I may need to say, hold on, I feel it, but just because I feel it doesn't mean I'm going to follow it in this case. Because if I follow my emotion in this case and I play the tape forward a little bit, the consequences of me following my emotions are not going to be good ones. Say, but I feel it, I feel it so profoundly. Why do you feel? I don't know why you feel it. I know you feel it profoundly. But if you follow it, you will have dire consequences. And a child matures into an adult when they are in the driver's seat, not their emotions. When, they, when their will can trump their emotions and say, no, not this time. 
This time I recognize with my will that this is not going to be followed. But you are not going to learn this in the broader culture. You are not going to learn it in pop culture, in media, in music, in literature, in education. You are not going to learn this. You are going to learn the almost magical qualities of emotions. And they're not magical qualities. Sometimes, yes, you go with your gut you go with your feeling, you go with your emotion, and the consequences are magnificent, and you got it right. But sometimes you can be dead wrong, and you are a grown-up when you realize the difference. And in spirituality, what happens is you put God in the driver's seat, and you say, my will is submitted to his will, and therefore the emotions may not always be in sync with that. And I have to recognize the difference and make decisions as to what to do with how I feel. And that is the one point that if you get anything from this entire series on the book of Proverbs, that's it. And that is a truth that could keep you out of serious, serious trouble. That is a truth that can change the trajectory of your future if you take it seriously. And it's right out of the Bible. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of them is a really fun example. One of them is a quite serious example before we close. I really enjoy watching sports. How many of you like to watch sports as well? Okay, those of you who don't like sports at all and don't understand sports, I am going to educate you for five minutes, and I guarantee you at the end of these five minutes, you'll say, wow, I never knew that. That's interesting. It almost makes me want to watch sports. Almost. Maybe you watch it with your, your loved one or whatever, with your kids, and you're like, oh, I can't wait. To, this is over. But I, for five minutes, I'm going to educate you here on sports. And here's why people like sports. Because of what you just learned. Because in sports, emotions and feelings lead to decisions. But in sports, one has to recognize how to deal with emotion, how to deal with feeling as you are executing given sport. Because sometimes you may follow emotion and feeling in given sport and then make a decision and the decision leads to loss. <laughs> it leads to your peril. And we like watching athletes who can control this. And they're very much able to keep their emotions in check. They know when to use those emotions. And they know when their will should ignore their emotions, you see. And their emotions become their ally rather than their adversary. And when we watch athletes do this, we are so impressed with the level of discipline and the level of self-control by which they can execute given, given strategy. You get, get the picture so far. Okay, so I watch a lot of baseball. 
much to the chagrin of my wife and daughter, and I will be watching the playoffs today. And unfortunately, the Toronto Blue Jays, I hear some so far, were eliminated in ghastly fashion. It, it swept two games, scored one run in two games. So Canada's only professional baseball team quickly eliminated, manhandled in the wild card round. But I'm going to show you what happened in one particular play that illustrates the power of feeling and emotion. The sports writers are calling this one of the biggest blunders in the history of the Toronto Blue Jays franchise. And the person who committed the blunder, unfortunately, was born right here in Montreal. I'll introduce you to him in a moment. So here's the backdrop, here's the story, and you got it all transpiring right on your screen. The Toronto Blue Jays were down one game already. And in that particular series, the first team to win two games ousts the other team. Very simple. And they're already down one game. They're playing in the adversaries. The field in this, the city of Minnesota in Minneapolis in the United States. Blue Jays guy, he has a little blue jersey on there. He's holding the bat, all right? You see him, raise your hand, even if you don't know anything about baseball. Okay. The guy's name is Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette is one of the best hitters in the sport. Very dangerous. That means when that pitcher there, the guy with the white shirt, who's not facing Bo Bichette and should be, when he throws that ball, that guy, he can, he can get a base hit, and he does so quite often. So he's a dangerous, dangerous hitter. The blue team, the Blue Jays, are losing the game presently. You can see that up in the upper left-hand corner. It says Minnesota's got two, and Toronto's got zero. Well, they ended the game with zero, and they ended the season with zero. So they're losing the game. The game is into, uh, it looks like the sixth inning. You see a little number there by the little diamonds, probably the sixth inning, and there's two outs. In baseball, you get three outs, and you got to switch, and the other team gets to hit. So there's a lot of pressure on that Blue Jays guy to get that hit. Why does he want to get a hit? Well, because two of his fellow teammates are on base. They're on second base, and they're on third base. You see the guy who's on second right in the lower right-hand corner. That's going to be the culprit in our illustration. He's on second base, but he strayed quite a far away from second base, and his teammate is over on third, and they're off the screen. So what happens is if that guy up there at the plate, if he gets a base hit, the odds are that both of his teammates are going to run, 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 run around the diamond and make it to home plate there, right where that guy is standing with the bat, and the game will be tied 2-2. So a lot of pressure. And there in Minnesota, there's 45,000 fans screaming to the point of oblivion. You can't even hear yourself think. And they are cheering on that team in white, the Minnesota Twins. 
And so here is what happened, one of the biggest franchise blunders in history, with what's called a full count, which means the, the, the hitter had, had taken the pitch count to three balls and two strikes. So another ball, and he walks to first base, another strike, and he's out, and the inning's over. So it's like the last pitch, all the pressure's on, with three balls and two strikes, a spectacular play was executed, wherein the pitcher by the name of Sonny Gray spun around on the mound and threw to his teammate, Carlos Correa, who you see at the bottom of the screen there, threw the ball to him and picked off the runner who you see in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, his name is Vladimir Guerrero, who was born here in Montreal. And there you see him tag Guerrero, and Guerrero is out. And he, he was caught, uh, they call this being picked off, and he got picked off. And then he's, of course, saying, no, 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 I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe. And Carlos Correa goes up to Sonny Gray, and of course, they're pumped up and emotional. They pulled it off. They managed to pick this guy off. It's out number three, and he's standing there, no, 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 I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe. And they challenge it in the instant replay, and he was what you call a dead duck. Now, what happened? Here's the execution. This guy on the right-hand part of your screen, Carlos Correa with the tattoos there, he says before all this happened, several minutes before all this happened, he says to his, the pitcher there, Sonny Gray, he says, it's really, really loud in here. And the Blue Jays, when they get on base, they're straying off of the bases. They're taking big, what's called a lead, because the further that they get from the base, the quicker they can get to home if someone gets a hit. So they try and get a big lead. You can follow me on that camera if you want. And they try and get a big lead and a big lead like this, and they're straying from the base because when the person gets a hit, they can scoot and run and get home really, really quickly. And so Carlos Correa, he says, they're taking really big leads, and it's very loud. They cannot hear the coach scream at them to get back. So we are going to watch this because we can execute a pickoff play using the crowd's emotion to our advantage. I'm telling you, Mr. Pitcher, we can pull this off and we can catch them sleeping. And so, of course, it ensues. And what happened was that uh, Carlos Correa uh, received a signal from the the dugout that told him, go and do this thing. And then this signal was relayed to the catcher who is there waiting to receive the ball. You see the guy with the bat? Well, the catcher in the white there will catch the ball when it's pitched. And the catcher has an electronic device on his wrist that tells the pitcher in his cap with a, a speaker in his cap 
what pitch to throw and so on. And they communicate with each other using these buttons and these electronics so nobody can pick off their hand signals and decipher their hand signals. This is a new thing. Not only does he get one of those things in his head, but so does Carlos Correa. So the, the pitcher has one in his head, the shortstop has one in his head, and the catcher is giving the signal. And the catcher presses the button, pick off play second base. And the whole thing is timed, and off we go, spin around, tag him, he's, he's, he's all excited, he's got his big lead, he thinks nobody's thinking about him, and he is picked off and looks like a fool was made a fool of. Why? Because of brilliant execution. We will use the emotion of the moment against our adversary because he, in his emotion, is taking a big lead. And he doesn't know and doesn't realize that he can't hear his coach. We're going to take advantage of him and decoy him, and we will pick him off, and he won't even know what hit him. And that's exactly what happened. And the Blue Jays were eliminated and poor Vladimir Guerrero Jr. born in Montreal has been really humiliated. I'm sure he'll be fine with his multi-million dollar contract. But this is a funny illustration. This is a funny one. Let me give you a serious one. And this one is for the adults in the room. I'll be careful and we'll close with this one. Many of you know of King David uh, from the Bible most most known probably for his his uh, defeat of the giant Goliath, right? David and Goliath. We know that story. Uh, but he's also known for a very dark story in his life, a very dark time in his life. And this is the result of following how he felt at the time. You, we can joke about it in the sports world and, you know, feelings and emotions and how you've got to be careful how you manage those things and not always follow those things. Well, here it's real life. And in this tragic story, which is often misrepresented uh, in, in art, in television and movies, uh, it's often taught that the standard at least way it's taught is, well, you know, he had this affair with this woman who he saw bathing, and then the woman, lo and behold, she was pregnant, and so he tried to cover it up, and he ends up murdering the woman's husband and conspiring to have him murdered and so on, and then he marries the woman and, uh, and so on. And so this is how the story is typically told. It was an affair, and he tried to cover it up and committed murder and adultery and so on. Uh, folks, when you read the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, you will find that's not really what happened. What you will find is something a whole lot more real. And uh, you can read it yourselves. I did a, I did a kind of an in-depth look at this a couple of years ago. We looked at Psalm 51, and you can dig that up in our series on the Psalms uh, on our website or Facebook or YouTube. I think we still have it there. And what really happened there was that David, the king, a man of, at that time, great power, was alone. And David uh, 
made a decision seeing this woman bathing on the rooftop. He's by himself, and he decides that he wants this woman. He inquires, and he finds out that this woman is the wife of one of his, one of his workers, Uriah. Uriah works for David. He's a military man. And he knows, he knows Uriah. He knows the woman's father. Doesn't care. He says, I want the woman. Brings the woman to himself. He sleeps with the woman. And uh, she becomes pregnant. This is often treated as if it was some sort of consensual affair. It, nothing could be further from the truth. He took her. He was the king. He was powerful. This is a non consensual power move where he objectifies this woman and he has uh, what he thinks is his way with her. Lo and behold, uh, it is discovered that she is pregnant and he is the father. And so what he does is he uh, commits several sins. You have to read the story uh, at length to see the, the length of what he does. It's quite a sordid thing. It's very dark. He uh, commits all kinds of deception. He's got a guy on the inside named Joab who works for him as well. And he conspires with Joab to first try and cover up the pregnancy and make it look like uh, Uriah is the father. So if he can trick everybody and Uriah is the father, then he gets away with it scot-free and he doesn't get caught. And his, you know, his popularity continues to rise. So he tries to arrange things so that Uriah looks like the father, and it doesn't work. He wants Uriah to spend time with his wife to, to try and you know, fix the situation, and Uriah doesn't. He's still on the battlefield. He refuses to, to spend any time with his wife. It doesn't work. And so David, he says, oh, we've got a real problem here. And so he takes matters even further. And he sets up a battle situation, a battle scenario, using the insider Joab to send Uriah to the battlefield and throw him right in the front lines and then withdraw quickly so that he is executed and he's in, in murdered. And that way they get him out of the picture totally. And then David can take uh, Bathsheba as his own wife. And he succeeds in doing this. He, he, he concocts the whole scenario. He's even got the whole thing right down to, well, you know, Uriah's dead, but we lost a lot of people in this battle, in this whole game that you played, David. Joab tells him this, and, and so the, 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 or Joab is told of this, and then so he says, okay, here's what we're going to do, and we report to David, you know, he's going to be upset because a lot of other people died, but here's what we do. We tell David, Uriah died. Joab is the inside guy. Nobody else knows of the whole story. And it plays out just like that. And they, they tell David, we had this battle. And, you know, a lot of people died and so on. And David's temper starts to rise. And then they come out with the famous line, Uriah the Hittite is dead. And David wipes his hands of the thing. And he says, oh, well, that's the battle. And, you know, secretly him and Joab have pulled off a conspiracy there, you've got abuse of power, you've got murder, you've got theft, he's taking a woman who's not his own, you've got adultery for sure, you even got using the Lord's name in vain because he's a king, he's also the spiritual leader, even God tells him later, you, you have detested me, 
you have detested my law in what you have done. And you see that he gets away with it until the prophet Nathan catches him. And you can read about it yourself, 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 12. He tells him a little story, and he has David right in the palm of his hands, and he gets David's emotions to buy into this story about this you know, good guy, bad guy, uh, good character, bad character in this little parable, and David is seething with anger, and he says that bad character in there, he did something wrong, and he needs to die. And, Dave, and Nathan looks at David and he says, you are that guy. You are that bad character. And he, he, he's caught. But if you do a study of this and you think about why David did what he did, it's the power of feelings. It's the power of emotion. He looked at this woman and he wanted this woman and he would not take no for an answer. It didn't matter when he found out, listen, your, her father works for you, David. Her husband works for you, David. You know these, these men. And you're, you're going to try and take her? And he won't take no for an answer. He has these feelings. He has these emotions. He has these desires. And he follows them. And it leads to an, an incredibly dark moment, series of moments in his life. And the consequences of his actions affect not only him, but his family. You see the same type of behavior played out in his children. And you see vengeance and hatred and sin played out in the lives of his sons. It's a sordid tale and a dark example of what happens when people don't say, wait a second, I feel it, I desire it, it's powerful, it's, it, there's, there's, a, there's a reason why, but if I follow this thing, and if I do this thing, and I follow this emotion, it's going to destroy my life and could destroy the lives of others. Am I really sure that I should be following how I feel in this case? And the answer in David's case should have been no. He should have been like Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph in the book of Genesis, the reverse was true. The woman in that story, his boss's wife, came on to him like a desperate housewife came on to him and came on to him in very graphic terms and he was alone with her and what does he say how can i do such a wicked thing and sin against god and he runs for his life later accused of rape and thrown into prison but he had integrity there he said i'm not going to follow how i feel i'm going to run for my life too bad David didn't do the same thing. This illustrates you've got to come to a place of maturity. Even if you never decide to follow Jesus in your life, you still are responsible to be a grown-up and to not always follow what you feel. And if you're a Christ follower, you have an edge 
Because with God in your life, you submit your will not to yourself, where you are your own God, like we talked about last week, but you put him on the throne of your life and you say, I submit my will to God's will. And it is from him that I learn to make right decisions and right choices. And on that will end, would you stand with me and we can close the service in prayer. Musicians, you can come if you like and play to your heart's content this Thanksgiving Sunday 2023. Father, I pray for each person in the room, each family, each young person, each child, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you would help us to grow up. I think of the many situations and stories. I'm sure that in each of our lives, we can think of different examples. Maybe some of us are living through them right now where there are very real and very powerful emotions and feelings that want to have their way in our lives. And we wrestle with what to do with them. And we, uh, we inspect them and we, we try and look at them and we try to decide what to do. I pray, God, that you would give people wisdom, that you, by your spirit, would speak to hearts, I pray that above all things, we would mature and we would come to a place where we submit ourselves to you, even as Jesus in the garden before he was crucified says, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, may we learn that truth, help parents even to teach their children and to grow their children to make those right decisions and those wise decisions that lead to good consequences, that lead to life. We pray together to that end today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Happy Thanksgiving. Remember to get some coffee on your way out. I'll be there to greet you as well. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody, and hopefully you have the day off tomorrow. God bless you.